0: This is a Step Up and Play production. Hello, uh, my name's Liam Barry and welcome to I Used to Play a Bit. This is a brand new podcast where I'll talk to people that have played and been involved at all different levels of the beautiful game to find out what drew them in, how their playing career went, how it ended, and what they're doing now. And to be honest, anything else that comes up along the way. So I'm kicking off this series with a three-part interview with former Oxford United goal-scoring hero, James Constable. Uh, James was kind enough to give up a large uh, chunk of his his Sunday afternoon to me uh, just before lockdown sat in. And I'm, I'm, I'm pointing that out. That it was before lockdown set in but we still did it remotely anyway so you know it makes no odds um but just as a heads up uh before before we start uh there's a few uh points in the interview where it does sound like like we're, we're talking over each other but i can assure you that's not the case i was absolutely on point with my manners that day um but the app that we were using to to record just overlays the audio slightly sometimes um so if you, if you can just bear, bear with me on that one, I'm just not skilled enough to fix it.
1: Yeah, that's can't, mate.
0: It's it's been a long time coming,
1: this, hasn't it? It has. <laughs> how been it been? Yeah, good mate. Yeah, really good. Um, yeah. Like I say, it seems like a minute ago I was at college, dossing around, not doing a great deal, and then now, like I say, I'm 35, and like the career, sort of playing wise, is sort of sort of coming to an end. It's, it's crazy how fast it's gone. Yeah, I mean that's it's.
0: I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, because you do something for for so long and it just becomes just, it's natural. It's every day and that. And then suddenly, yeah. I mean, obviously it's like, no, it's completely different for me. Like, but I, I did my um, ACL just like yeah. playing six, seven aside. But then now, because I'm contracting, I've just gone, do you know what? I can't afford for it to keep happening again because it's happened a couple of times. like right? And just not being, even not being able to kind of have a kick around. It's like, it's even that is just like oh man that sucks but like where it's been your um your bread and butter and everything for
1: for so long that's got to be got to be a massive change yeah well like I say it's just I think for me more so it's it's that sort of transition now between obviously playing and and uh like I say when sort of being sort of 25 26 I, I started thinking about transitioning but then obviously to to then actually reality making that happen it's like it's just one of them things you sort of put off and put off and and then say I get to 35 and then I'm like well I haven't really got the qualifications I haven't got a massive amount of of sort of coaching hours logged and I've done a couple of the badges but not to the level you'd need to to go and coach so you're sort of left Mm. in limbo really and like I say it's a problem that I've spoke to so many players since obviously going through what I've gone through. And there's so many players in the same boat that, that feel a little bit almost like, not let down, but I, I think the sort of, the people that are meant to sort of look after players probably aren't actively going out and sort of trying to push them in a the direction of, of academics. And, and just in case, like, the, yeah. the, the possibility happens that your career's cut short, that you've got something to fall back on. So, um like I say, it's, I think, it's a big problem at the minute. I think
0: that's a that's that's a that's a probably an even bigger problem kind of when you're sort of in in the the lower leagues and stuff as well isn't it because if you're you know you're Rio Ferdinand you know you can you've you've got millions and you can sit back and go well I'm gonna make hats yeah do a magazine or I might do a bit of punditry or whatever Mm -hmm. I might do some some prank tv shows and stuff but you know those and that's that's like the the, the tiny, tiny percentage of actually of, of overall football, isn't it? Yeah,
1: that's the top sort of 1-2%. Like you say, when you break it down into like the different leagues and the different like steps, step 1-2, Like as you go down, there's so many, so many players that, again, have, have, have dreamed of playing sort of professional footballer and, and, and thinking that they're going to earn the money they see and everything. And like I say, the realities are very different. And like I say, it's not until you get to sort of 30s, over the 30s sort of ages that... The contracts are year contracts instead of two, three years that you used to, and literally, yeah. it's just a huge sort of wake up call. And um, like I say, obviously, I, I I'm pretty lucky in terms of how I sort of managed my money when I was younger, and like I say I wasn't silly at, at sort of twenty five, twenty six, and and got sort of cars that I can afford or houses that were above what I was earning. So, uh, like I say, I've been pretty sensible, but there's there's a lot of players that haven't, and I haven't really had the guidance or or sort of help that they probably needed and 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 are going to be in a sort of sticky situation in sort of five six years when when the sort of money's gone and and they're having to sort of like say do what I'm doing at the minute transition and and try and get the next part of your life sorted so um like I say, I think that's that's why you see a lot of the the sort of issues with mental health and and uh I've been doing quite a bit of reading up on on sort of players transitioning and, and the numbers of players that like I say, end up going on and and being bankrupt within sort of two two three years of of leaving professional sport, or like even just getting divorced from from loved ones. It's just it's, it's astonishing that that these numbers are known by the sort of governing bodies and the, and the FAs and the PFAs, but no one's actively trying to help them because, like I say, that the, the the point of leaving the sport and then trying to figure out what you're going to do next is obviously tough for for the players that are. Going through that, but like I say, not not much seems to be being done to to try and combat that.
0: Yeah, because I guess you know when you when you're a kid, your parents always say like have a backup plan, have a backup plan, mm-hmm. don't they? But when you when you're actually on that road and you think, I minute I'm no, I'm going to do this, and you are single minded enough to to make it, mm-hmm. regardless of what level you kind of get to, and you think, wow oh, I don't, I don't need, to, I need to worry about it, I don't need to worry. And then, like you're saying now, like the the reality afterwards is 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 very different and and i suppose i don't know i don't know too much about like what the p f a do like yeah. what is is there much support from them or anything available from them
1: yeah, like i say i know um sort of in the last sort of two or three years obviously coming sort of from from professional football then to sort of non league football and then obviously dropping down again to sort of step two step three so sort of coming right back to sort of like non-league in terms of like the amount that you're there so obviously easily it was sort of four days three days a week to start with and then obviously because it was their first year in that league and then it got went to four days and, and like I say then at pool and Hungerford and stuff it's just two evenings so um, in terms of your free time is a lot more so I looked at sort of PFA courses and, and stuff that they ran so they they run like workshops for sort of transitioning and and basically, just explaining what what the process is, what you go through from from sort of the physical aspects of leaving sport and being around your mates all the time to the mental side of that. So not not having that sort of person to turn to at training or whatever to speak to. So like that side. But again, it, it's very much sort of the onus on on us as the players to to sign up for these courses and. And like I say, come along and like the one I went to was was run by a player that, that sort of, I think he's still playing Robbie Simpson. I think he's just took over as Chelmsford manager, but I think he realised there was a, a need for this. Um, yeah. So he set up a, 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 comp, a, a sort of a, a platform called Laps, which is life after professional sport. And that's, I think he felt that, again, there wasn't probably enough being done by the PFA for that. Um, so he set it up and they run sort of workshops and stuff and, and get you to sort of meet with people that do recruitment and um, stuff like that, just to really get your head around life outside of sport. Um, But like I say, the PFA, again, it's almost, it's a little bit of a a sort of a a reactive thing that they do. So players might tweet saying like, they're coming to the end of their career. What are they, what are the options and and trying to get sort of feedback from, from other players sort of players that have gone through it. And then, like I say, you'll see the PFA tweeting about courses and stuff. But like I say, I don't think it's like an actively um, a sort of proactive, let's go out and let's try and speak with clubs. And, and like I say, when I was at Oxford, I think I remember probably two or three times that we had anyone, I was there six years, we had anyone come in and, and give us any sort of speech on, on academic sides of, of your, your free time because you've got hours and hours and hours of free time. Um, as a professional footballer traveling on the bus and uh, overnight as in hotels like I say you've got so much time on your hands you you could easily you could you you could easily do a course or learn a language or whatever you wanted like I just feel there's a lot of of things that could be done and and should be done but probably like I say it's it's just almost an afterthought and and like I say it's almost it's left to the players to sort of sort themselves out when they when they finish playing so um it's something i've thought about quite a lot recently like i say because having sort of gone through it um yeah, yeah. it was some, it's something i would love to be able to do is, is go out and and sit with sort of teams and say look what what, what happens if like you, you, you've got a room full of i don't know 50 60 percent that are going to be under 25 um and they're probably just expecting to play to sort of 35 40 and then going to leave playing and and the club they're playing for is going to offer them a job coaching and they're going to do that to sort of 50 and it doesn't work like that um because
0: there's too many players no
1: well this is the thing obviously that i'm trying i'm doing my sort of pfa uh i've got my ua for b license coming up and i've I've, i did my level two in 2017 um and i've been trying to get on this b license for three years um and it's just it's get it's actually there's just too many people wanted to do it i think for every course that's got 30 35 places they're getting like 1500 people applying for it wow so it's just that that obviously everybody's trying to get their coaching badges everybody's trying to sort of go into that sort of business and and that sort of career path but like you say there's there's not that there's not 1500 jobs every year um for coaches so you can everybody can have the coaching badges but then to actually go and get a job with that badge is, is, is turning out to be pretty difficult. And like I say, for me, it's just, it's taken me just sort of a little bit more than three years to actually be able to get on the course itself. And, and then I think the course is two years. Um, so like I say, I'm looking at another two years before I'm even getting that qualification to be able to go and use it anyway. So it's so, it, mad. It's, 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 I have
0: no idea it takes so long.
1: Yeah. Like I say, I think the course that I was applying for um around Christmas time, I got I got rejected for, um and then that was with the Barks and Bucks FA um and then like I say just doing a bit of digging and stuff on Twitter I found sort of I think it was a a girl playing for Reading Reading women's team and she's sort of 22 23 and she's on the course um and then like I say from she she might have another 10 years playing um and then for me at sort of 35 being sort of a player coach at Hungerford I was told that I wasn't a sort of the criteria that needed to be met to get on it. So, obviously, for a player, it's frustrating having sort of been in the game and, and sort of been in professional football for for ten years or twelve years and, and not even being able to get on the court that you need. um mm-hmm. It's sort of it's hard because, like I say, they're trying to push you in certain directions, but then you you can't get on anyway. So, um yeah, it's been a, it's like I say it's been a tough sort of couple of years really. But like I say, I feel at the minute like I'm starting to sort of get get results and get sort of things in order and, 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 and hopefully like that will sort of bring some jobs my way in the future.
0: And I, so I suppose I've, I've seen obviously on um, on Facebook mm-hmm. and, and Twitter and stuff that uh, you recently did, uh, you,
1: it was a scouting course. Yeah, it was a, that was another FA course. Um, that was um, Talent ID. Again, it's something that probably years gone by, it was just scouting. And, and like I say, I think there was no such thing as like courses that you you just, signed up to be a scout and if people sort of spoke to you and you got interviewed and and you were good at it you got the job so um, I think the FA have tried to sort of make it a little bit more sort of regulated and and get you onto these courses and a lot of it's sort of health and safety and and sort of safeguarding more, more so than how do you spot a good player it's like the sort of rules behind like how can you speak to them can you you obviously can't speak to them directly you've got a speak to the parents or the coaches and it's just a lot more sort of safeguarding more than than sort of how to spot a good player so for me it was a massive eye-opener in in, into that sort of world of of sort of football and the the part of football you probably don't necessarily see too much so um it's something that's always interested me because of sort of my background and and coming up sort of through non-league and then like getting picked up at 21 I've sort of missed that side of of being in academies at, from from six and eight and and sort of being all the way through and then pe- players getting sort of released at sixteen, I've, I've had a completely different sort of route into the professional game. So um, it was just interesting to see how that side of it works and and what the differences can be. Brilliant. So
0: and is that something you think like you know whilst you're going through doing the the coaching badges, you think that's something obviously you are you'll you'll get quite deep into the
1: scouting yeah I, again having sort of left uh eastleigh and 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 then signing for hungerford obviously i went went in as a as a player and like a coach so um that was my my aim really to to get a little bit more hands on with the coaching side and um i did a bit of scouting through the sort of club set me up with the with the account to be able to sort of watch teams that were in our league and and like I say i could watch sort of 90 minutes of football at home sat at home and and being able to put notes together on the team we were going to be playing and that was sort of set my mind in motion really about sort of the different sides of it and obviously as a player you don't really look at certain things you're just so focused on the game you don't sort of think too much about it so obviously coming out of that and, and doing a bit of that in the evenings when I was there it sort of I enjoyed that because like say you've, you you're completely looking at the game from a different point of view and and it um opens up your eyes to a lot lot of stuff that goes on and and uh something that I really enjoyed and, and wanted to know more about
0: That's great. I mean I guess as well like nowadays with, um the use of of, of analytics mm-hmm. and that in football I suppose there's there's even more behind the scenes kind of roles available yeah. in kind of that arena as well so you're saying you're you're sat at home watching. <laughs> watching you can do that at home watching the games and there's so much available i suppose as well for you to be able to consume you'd be able to you can be scouting players all over
1: without ever yeah well this is like i say that like as you mentioned that that side of it has just gone skyrocketed like I, i spent quite a bit of time with oxford last year and and they've got drones like out for training and and they're videoing things from just unbelievable levels of like That they're sat behind the goal with with a guy with a sort of remote control being able to fly this drone video in every part of training and and seeing where players are in relation to when the ball's being crossed and and just so much you can do now with it and you can take it as far as you want you can like say use it a little bit or you can take it to the extreme and and like I say be looking at every different aspect of of the game through a sort of drone that, that sits in the sky so um, that side of it is huge, and I, and I don't see that, like say, changing with VAR and and all these things coming in. That level of of sort of preciseness and 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 what they can do in terms of figuring out where people are on the pitch is just going to get more and more sort of detailed. So that's what I'm, it, it just gave me a, a different perspective from when I was sort of playing professionally to now. Um, that that yeah. there's so many opportunities in in that sort of side of it. That obviously for for someone that would love to stay in the game is is obviously coaching and management and, and, and those sort of sides of it are very sort of limited. There's just not that many jobs. Like, um, like I say, Oxford have been unbelievable with me. They've let me come in and I've sat with a manager and I've been in his office and I've I've trained with the players and I've sort of sat and had lunch with them. I've been in the gym. I've sort of been able to get almost like a full access to, to what they do on a day-to-day basis and and just see how much, like I say, it has come on. And, and this is only sort of League One level, so... You can just imagine Championship yeah. Premier League what 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 the possibilities are going forward in terms of of how many roles. I think they said they played I think Chelsea or Tottenham in this in this checker trade, and uh, I think they had about thirty media guys alone. So it's just people that are like recording games or doing stuff for social media or Twitter or Facebook or Snapchat, all the other think the platforms they're using, like yeah. say to, to, yeah. to just have a team of thirty people just just to do yeah. that alone if you look then at like say all the stuff for the game and, and all the match stats and video analysis, and it's just, it's a huge business. And like I say, it only looks like it's going to grow and grow and grow. So it's just worth having that that side of the the sort of business that you, you hopefully know or have some sort of knowledge of that. Again, it, it opens up an opportunity to to stay in the game. If it's not coaching, there's, there's, there's lots of other ways to be able to do that with, with sort of, just sort of broadening your horizons a little bit.
0: I th- I, th- I think the the fact that even like, Oxford like they've got mm-hmm. like drones and that at the training ground, but it's the type of thing that yeah I'd I ex- kind of expect yeah they do have mm-hmm. the Premiership in that, but the fact that like at League One like the attention to details like it's it's got it's it's to that point I suppose I suppose there is even you know in in League One there's still yeah. got a lot of money like from yeah. the game, isn't there? So it is those small margins aren't just yes. in the premiership. It, it, it really trickles it, down. I'd like it?
1: to say, I think you mentioned there, the finances, I think that's a big driving force behind a lot of it because how much money can be made and how much money can be lost in, in a small detail, like a mistake or someone not being in the right place and someone scoring could be the difference between you pro- like you say, you're talking millions of pounds in, in sort of promotions and relegations. So um, it, it's huge. And like I say, for to have a drone and, and someone operating it and stuff I don't know what their sort of wages would be but if that could then help limit the the chance of a mistake or or something like that then like I say it's worth every penny and you're seeing things come from a completely different point of view that you would never I remember when I first went to Oxford like we we were just training on a pitch you had barely enough sort of cones and balls and and now to the level like I say they got we didn't even have our own training ground then and, and they've got their own ground training ground now and like everybody's at the same place. They've got all the, the new sort of training facilities and the buildings. They've got everybody based at the same place. It's just, it's just worlds apart. And then obviously with the way they're, they're running the sort of training and, and all that sort of side of it is, is probably sort of a, a good relation as to why they are where they are. So um, it, it definitely makes a big difference.
0: When, when you go back to the club now, like obviously you're, you're a legend there, aren't you? So when when you go back now, is it, is it weird kind of like, they still got like, you know, obviously got pictures of you around the place and stuff. Yeah. But, you
1: know, obviously when I, I I absolutely love going back. I think anyone that, that sort of goes to the club, whether they're there three or four years or ten years or or a couple of months, there's just a you come away leaving with a with a funny sort of feeling like that you just feel like that's your sort of home. I think ever since leaving there I've been to sort of three or four different clubs, but I always I have a fun. I, I have that feeling with it. I oh, straight after any game, I'm looking for their result. I'm I'm looking at w- when their games are compared to when I'm playing, to when I'll be able to get back there. it's, it's just an a, a unbelievable place that, that like I say, for for when I went there to the position they were in, to where I sort of remember watching them as a kid and and growing up and and seeing them at the sort of top level of of, of sort of football, to then be right down where they were. Just it was crazy, really, to think that that, that was. The club that were up there in what was division one or whatever um and you can still tell that the, the fans are desperate to try and get back to that 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 sort of place where they were and 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 doing what they're doing at the minute so it's it's always nice to go back like I say there's it's, it's, it's completely changed from obviously when I was there it's a lot more sort of professional and then like I say the setup's completely different and the players there's I think there's only one or two from from when I was there so it's just a completely different group of players but obviously the fans are the same and they'll always be the same. So um, like I say, I always love going back and I always get sort of greeted amazingly, which is like I say, big, a big part of why I probably was at the club as long as I was.
0: And I've got to say, like I obviously, I don't know, we, we haven't seen yeah. each other for a while, but obviously always kind of, I've always been kind of following uh, mm-hmm. close to kind of what you've been doing, which has been like the driver um, behind us yeah. having this chat for, for so long, because, um, like obviously you've achieved a lot but the thing that I noticed the most which was just really nice to see was actually like the the relationship that you have have Mm -hmm. with the Oxford fans like just whether it's like Facebook or Twitter or whatever like you can see there's like real like genuine connection there with people like they're all like they're Mm -hmm. messaging you all the time and everything and you're going back to like pretty much everyone you can you can see and like they absolutely love you and it was it was just it was for me it's one of those things like you see anything our well, fair playmate, because you've absolutely followed your dream you've had periods like those periods obviously where you you know swindon came in for you at a point but you kind of stay strong yeah. and no, i'm staying here and things like that you can just see like and um, how how much those fans love you and when um i know obviously was it like nearly probably about 18 months ago when we first yeah. really started talking about this and i put a tweet out um looking for for some stories and, and memories that from oxford fans that um about you and and you know what was their favorite and stuff and i can remember i put out quite late on a saturday night on friday friday or saturday night and um woke up in the morning and there was like zero responses i was thinking well to be fair i'm a nobody so why would there be um and then you retweeted it and then within sort of like 20 30 minutes like i was just getting loads loads of messages coming through loads of people and um, with with their with their favorite memories and that and all and, but also like asking, well, when's this going to be out? Because like, we really want to hear it and everything. So even though you know it's it's it has been a bit of time <clears> since you'd been there, that 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 affection was was still there for you, and and it was it was, just, it was really nice. And for me, it's really yeah nice to be able. to I be think part like
1: of it. I say for me, when I when I went there, I was I, I think I'd had sort of a couple. Of, I'd been at Warsaw, and like us say it was an unbelievable opportunity to to leave sort of Chippenham and in in the sort of Southern Premier League, and then go on to to sort of League One football under a manager like Paul Merson. And I I think sort of, I just couldn't believe where my sort of career had gone from, like I say, I loved every minute of being at Chippenham. They gave me a chance to sort of live my dream basically. And that's to play football week in, week out. So um, obviously I loved that. And like I say, I loved being at Warsaw, but I just went in completely underprepared, really. I was out of my depth in terms of like, it felt like ability, fitness. Like I, I felt like I was just sort of a kid that's been plucked and, and sort of thrown into it. Like I said, I did, when I played, I, I, I felt like I did all right. I scored, and but my whole round game, like my touch and just everything was just a way off what I needed to be to be competing, like, say, for, for places in League One at that time. They were in a sort of tricky situation and stuff like that. So then, obviously, from that, I go to Kidderminster and have an amazing time there. I loved, obviously, being part of that and and, and then, obviously, through performances and how well I did, I got to move to Shrewsbury and it, it just felt once I went there that I was thinking, right, I need, at some point, I need to sort of get that chance, like say in the league and and, and have a good crack at being able to do what I felt now. I had sort of worked on my game. I got my fitness in the right sort of place and felt like I'd started to really sort of establish myself as a, as a centre forward and, and be hard to play against and difficult people didn't want to play against me. And, And then, like I say, that that sort of fell apart at Shrewsbury. So it was just, I think the Oxford thing came up and it was, for me, it was like, right, this is sort of last chance saloon in in terms of of really establishing myself. And um, everybody was like, well, he's gone non-league pro, non-league pro. Like every time he's got to the league, he's sort of come back down. So um, it was sort of difficult for me to really, I felt like I was going there with a lot to prove and, um there was a lot of pressure, like obviously again coming from Shrewsbury and Oxford I know had had sort of had a few sort of difficult times and I think they'd lost on penalties in the playoffs a year before and it was just everybody was a little bit desperate for for sort of success and they wanted it yesterday. So coming in the pressure was was quite big and like I say for me it was I, I was probably adding to that pressure by sort of making it like a a, a make or break time for me and, and knew that for them and the fans they were going to want instant success and for me I was desperate to do well so it just sort of built that that sort of expectation and like I say it was uh coming to there and and like I say the fans were unbelievable from from the first minute that I was there that the amount of sort of messages and and people sort of coming up to me and and like I say just I, I started not particularly well in terms of goals and it took a while to sort of five or six games to really sort of get going and like i say that season i think i scored sort of 26 goals and and that sort of really kick started my my sort of career in terms of knowing that i could i could i could i could be i think i got blue square play, player of the year that season um and like I say i think with the, i I, th- I think i got player of the season and fans player of the season obviously from from their awards which just gave me that that belief that i, that I was good enough i knew that i knew i, I felt like i was good enough but the way it had gone and, and been let go by different managers, I just thought I need to have a good season. I need to, to reestablish my, myself and, and get that belief back that I could do what I knew I could do, but I needed to do it week in week out. Right.
0: I'll do some, let's do okay. some quick fire questions then.
1: First pair of boots. First pair of boots. A long, long time ago. It was a pair. I think it was like a pair called arrow. Yeah. They were all black. Yeah, right? I think it, it almost felt like the, the, I think there was only about six little moulded studs on the bottom, like it was they just had a, a, like say, jet black, a little, I think, little fold over tongue. Um, just like I say, f- from being a kid, sort of playing in the garden, you play barefoot, trainer, what, like whatever you add on, wellies. So to have that first, like say, pair of, of sort of football boots, like they could have been anything. They could have been any make, any colour, anything. It was just to get that, pull them on, like say, playing for a team and um like I say something you never really you you never really forget and I see it always pops up now sort of every now and again on Twitter people put up like pictures of like Arrow boots that like I say people used to have when they were kids and literally like it just brings all those memories back I think obviously nowadays you look and there's millions of different colors and makes and all sorts but back then it was there was only a few Puma Kings I think were another pair that sort of soon after I, I went into Pumas but Arrow I think was like
0: that, that PKs, that very much
1: yeah. if I sort of if I was to pick up a team I say Puma Kings all black, dubbed <laughs> like say, all polished like literally you could hardly see any white they were so sort of dubbed up and yeah. and sort of uh, and polished ready like not a blob of mud on them but as soon as you were finished they were caked and they just lived in the garage till dad cleaned them on a Saturday morning ready to go again but um, <laughs> yeah so Prima donna.
0: yeah you're living the stuff of dreams mate i used to have to clean mine in the sink every, every yeah no nah, I used to properly, uh
1: used to clean fire. to be fair i used to go out in the garage for me clean them up let's say get them all ready put a bit of like dubbing on them get them all i think from him like he was he was obviously playing sort of semi-pro and um stuff like that so for him to to sort of be seeing me do that my older brother and younger brother both sort of played a little bit but not they didn't probably have that sort of same passion and love that i did we all we, we sort of me and my older brother played in the same team for a little bit when we were sort of first starting out um and my younger brother played a little bit but for me like i say i think he really saw that, that there was something there and, and that he could almost sort of make sort of help me get into what what he would have loved to have been able to do probably which was was play professional football
0: And what's what's your your kind of uh, relationship with boots now? Mm. And I know that sounds like a weird question, but for me, like I know, like I love getting a new pair of boots. Mm. My wife's like, "What's wrong with you?" Like I'll I'll be Mm. like messing around with the tongue, lacing them, relacing them, and just I'll be on the sofa and they'll be next to me. So what are you doing? Was like, just you can't help it. I I say it
1: doesn't change. Like still, still at sort of thirty-five, I I still get that same excitement. New boots when you get them out of the box and pop them on and get in the bath and try and sort of stretch them and get them to how you want them on your, on your feet so it's no different I think like as you go through sort of I think at the time when I was sort of starting earning my own money it was added ass everything was added ass and um that that was like say the, yeah. the predators were like accelerators everybody had them like the precision like every predator boot near enough I had and it was just it was what you wanted to wear like they were the best out there they were the best you could buy so that that was and then if I went through like a dry patch I hadn't scored in like five or six games at Oxford it'd be like I'd go out and try and either buy a new pair or I'd try Nike or I'd try and mix it up just thinking oh maybe it's a boot maybe it's like something else that's stopping you scoring yeah it can't, can't, it it can't be because I'm missing <laughs> sitters from two yards out I'm thinking like no it's the boots definitely the boots um but yeah was, I, I, like I say Adidas and Nike are really the only two I've ever I've ever worn, really. Like I say, Predators have probably been 80, 75, 80% of my career that I've wore them. And then, I'll like say the odd occasion, I'd, I'd have a bad patch and I'd go and try a sort of a Nike pair and, and see if that would change it. Or, um, But, yeah, it's, it's no different. Like I say, the older you get, you still get that same excitement of of opening a new fresh pair of boots. And obviously, when, when you play sort of professionally, you get PFA vouchers. So at the start of the season, you'd get like free boots. Like you wouldn't even have to pay for them. Which for me was like this is oh, unbelievable. Like I've gone from like having to sort of save up or do a bit of coaching or whatever at college to get some boots. Now they're literally sending me a card and I can just log on and pick whatever I want. So, and so how so, so how many? Uh, pairs you, would when you get I a first season? when I first signed for Warsaw, you got um sort of like a studs and molds and a like a pair of trainers and like you say you you might get like a pair of flip flops or whatever. Like, but it would be. It was pretty much Adidas then. So you got Predators, um, and like an Adidas pair of trainers and flip flops, or you could have like the World Cups, Copers. Um, they were like different packs, so it was like a Predator pack or like the Copa pack and World Cup pack. Um, and then like, as it as it sort of progressed, it it's, it changed to like a, a monetary sort of thing. So you'd have I think it was like a three hundred and fifty pound voucher every year. Um, and you could basically buy whatever you wanted. But it seemed like great, but then boots that were sort of 150 160 in the shop were now sort of two hundred on this sort of website. So you went from having sort of two pairs to right. literally you probably get a pair of boots, a pair of trainers and possibly sort of like some shin pads or a pair of gloves and that was it. Um but again it was it was unbelievable to have a, a free a free sort of pair of boots every season or a couple of pairs of boots if you're lucky just to to sort of set you up for the season but safe obviously playing and, and playing like I did and you'd be lucky if you got sort of six months out of the new ones. It's just, they break and split. And, and like I say, that's probably another sort of conversation They're they're getting thinner and thinner, which like I say in terms of, like you say the Puma Kings back in the day, and yeah. the, the Predators, you, you could wear them. I've still got pairs that I had when I was sort of 25 that are still, still be able to wear. There's no holes in them, no nothing now. So you buy a pair after sort of four or five, six games, they're, they're sort of hanging apart or you stuck the glue starting to come away. It's, it's crazy and obviously what they're worth now is probably three four times what they used to be yeah that's
0: that's the thing that blows my mind because i remember i I remember um predators being they they were the the most expensive and that was like 120
1: quid wasn't it and then but now
0: you look yeah there's like like, say some of the some of the
1: ones i say over 200 some of the um like the ones they're remaking now like some of the uh some of the old classics, they're sort of revamping and bring back out there. They're sort of pushing the 300s, 350s. Um, and like I say, they're no, they're no different. They're just, that- they're just going to fall apart just like yeah. any, they're the, the ones that are out there at the minute. It's just, it's just a ludicrous amount of money to spend on, on boots for, like I say, you might get sort of six, seven, eight games out of them. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. But then exactly. you find yourself still doing it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so I I know and I'm sure um a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of like the fans that Followed Your career and that they, they all know that as much as obviously yeah. you love Oxford, you are a big Spurs fan. So how, how did you I'm that not come too about?
1: sure. Like I say, I think growing up my, my oldest brother was Villa. Um and like I say, I think my uncle was Villa. So I think that's how he got into it. And uh, like I say mum and dad and that they weren't massively sort of associated with it. They just loved watching football and um I think probably my, my youngest brother, I don't think he was massively at that age, but then sort of five or six, he was sort of into Arsenal. Everything was Arsenal. Um, and again, at that age, sort of me, he was six, I was sort of seven or eight. I was just sort of loving watching football. And then I was thinking, actually, like everyone's got kits. Everyone's got all the stuff that, that, that relates to the team they want. And I'm thinking, well, like, I want my, I want, to be, I want to be part of that. I want to have a team. So I think it's sort of around that time, the sort of, the gazers and stuff at Tottenham were just I just love watching those type of players and, and stuff like that. So I think for me that, that's what sort of drew me towards Tottenham and and how that was. And obviously it helps at my youngest brother's Arsenal. So there's a, a huge rivalry anyway. Um so uh that was like say a big factor and I think it was uh Italia ninety I think there's a uh, or oh, no USA ninety four I've got a picture like that, that was on and I, I've got like full Tottenham kit on and now I've got this USA 94 sort of t-shirt over the top and um, it was just like say for me it was a- anything to do with football was what I wanted to do I-, I remember like no matter what I had on like what game was on I'd be watching the game running around pretending I was that person and the amount of things we smashed and broke and it's just scary the amount of damage we used to do break greenhouses whatever like it was just football was everything and like say Back then, it was just the, the team that I just wanted to watch and couldn't get enough of Sort of seeing as Tottenham. So that was where it came from. And it, it just stuck, really. And we've we've had uh, some pretty miserable times as, as Tottenham fans. But um, like I say, I I, I love going back. I, I still haven't been to the new stadium. So that's, that's like a big thing for me that I'm desperate to to go back there and witness that. Well, it's, it's what That's what best, I'm saying, best, 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 yeah. Best like I say, I've, I've seen so many videos and I've seen mates and, and everybody, and it, uh, it's always they always tweet like different things from inside the stadium. And did you see the uh, Hammond Big documentary? He, he he's done the one of the ones he no, did no the stadium. Um, and so like again, just to ah. see sort of behind the scenes stuff, and they've got their own brewery inside the stadium, and just. Have they got the cheese room? I, I would imagine, I from what room. I saw, they literally had every single thing you could ever think of, like, that that, that you could use in terms, of like, say, all the pitch, being able to come out and play N- with NFL, which is, like, another huge part of my I love watching NFL. I've been a big fan for sort of five, six years of that. And to be able to go and watch football one week, NFL the next week, and, like I say, it's obviously having still sort of been playing. It's never been something I've I've been able to do. But obviously, as as you get older, I'd love to have a sort of season ticket there and and be able to go and see all those type of events. It'd be uh, it'd be a dream come true.
0: I know, I do you know if you like who go along and stuff? So yeah, um, you know, have a chat and see how they get their tickets and let you know. <laughs> okay, so um, obviously you've scored mm-hmm. loads of goals over the years. Do you remember your the first I don't. goal you ever? I was trying
1: scored. to think about it. I saw, obviously you, you mentioned some of the things you we would talk about, and I was trying to think back. and And to be fair, like for the first, I think until even when I was at Saracens, I would like say you and and the other guys. Like I, I think even then, I was playing sort of right back or right wing. I, I never, I say it wasn't probably till I was 17, 18, that like I really started sort of playing up front. And and like say, I think I we we would sort of play on a Saturday morning, the sort of youth alliance for the Siren Academy and then we'd sort of come back and then five or six of us would go off with the sort of first team at Siren and it was only really then that that people started sort of putting me up front and I think probably because of my size and stuff that, that they sort of saw something and thought like you know what like this guy can can finish he's he's strong powerful and and that's really the first sort of time I started playing up front I think sort of coming through my youth team at sort of Momsbury and that I was always like a right back or a right winger and it never really it never was about scoring goals for me i was just i i just loved getting getting to the byline getting crosses in setting up like i think you know ben Fitch and and people sure. like that, that that came through the academy as well yeah. but they were sort of in in the youth team with me and he, i think seasons he was getting like 60 70 80 goals a season um and it was just yeah this is that's what like, i said to you him, were putting him on his he was unbelievable at finishing like i could just Put the ball in an area, and I'd know he'd be there. And I think as time went on, like obviously we, we sort of came back together at, at Cyrus Esther and I think from from that youth team there, there was five or six. That I thought, looking back now, they should have been playing professional football. Like Fitchy was, is probably the mate. Like I, I, I could not believe that that obviously when I was playing, I was like, this guy's like not even playing. He's playing with his mate still. Like he, he should be. It should be him. Like technically, he was. He was a better finisher, he's a better he had more pace than me. Like he was the one that like say I was expecting to see go on and make it and and, and be a professional footballer. But I think like I say as you look back and as you get older you realise like a lot of it is luck and, and I think for me I probably had the luck at the right time and, and other players that, that didn't do it would probably just didn't have that bit of luck that 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 they probably needed.
0: I think I think you're maybe doing yourself a bit of a disservice there, mate. Because if I think back to obviously when we played, one of the things that I don't think you could ever you yeah ever knock you for was always is the effort and you always, mm. you trained hard, didn't mess around. You you mm. really like you really knuckled down that. And I think especially going through that route in, in and yeah. that environment that that you're in, you're not you're, you know you're with the lads who did have. The skill and that but maybe not necessarily yeah. the the um the application which is why mm-hmm. they were there and not at, at the other clubs so actually for in in that in that environment yeah you've you've come through that because actually you had that thing that maybe yeah. those other lads that were already signed up at clubs had and that was that that focus and the determination and not as <laughs> distracted uh, yeah. as much as as maybe the rest of us for. Uh,
1: so, off to, to yeah, but I said Thursday like I, I was speaking recently like to a few <laughs> of the really lads true? like like, uh, like reason Sam reason and and just like remembering back like we were, Dean Mason and that we we were out near enough every Thursday night we I remember like we'd go out on a Thursday night stay stay at Dean's come into college on a Friday absolutely hanging or and, and like still do our lessons still like uh, obviously go out and train on a, on a Friday afternoon ready for a game on a Saturday and it was just. I say it was it was crazy to think that like, say at that age eighteen or whatever like players were and still are now like they they would have been in academies for lot, like, like ten years and yeah. would would have never experienced any of that, so yeah, I say for me to 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 have done what I've done, but still had that sort of that that sort of upbringing in terms of like, yeah, it was fun, like I say it was probably silly at times. you probably got in trouble for doing it, and I remember Ivor and Steve and some of the coaches used to be out like find out from the bouncers who was out and you'd never get away with it. But it was just, like I say, just, I feel lucky that, that I managed to do that and live that sort of side of it as well as do what I do football wise, because a lot of players now, I think are, are sort of giving up their whole sort of childhood for football and, and getting to 18, 19, 20 and, and being let go of and, and sort of missing out on that. So I feel lucky that again, like that, I've managed to do sort of both sides of it and, um, and enjoy that side and enjoy the football side as well.
0: Cool, and obviously you've spoke a little bit yeah. about obviously your dad playing semi pro stuff as well. So, um, what about kind of like heroes for you as you know as as a as a young kid getting into the game? Sort of like who who you biggest
1: influences? I think like I say certainly like in the early years it was just anybody that like was just playing football. Like for me, obviously the older I got, it was like the R nines and um like Linekers and Shearers and like pe- people that would like obviously doing things that, that I sort of started to transition from like being a, a winger, wanting to be like a, a Beckham crossing to actually, actually I want to be this guy flipping, taking everyone on doing a bit of skill, banging it in the bottom corner. Like that That's where sort of I transitioned then into, to following this sort of those people. And, and I say, especially as, from being young and obviously watching like Lineker for England and, um, sort of Shearer and th- those type of players, it was, th- that's what I started to enjoy watching. And like I say, I think I was, can't remember what age I was when Sky really sort of became like life and you could watch Spanish football, Italian football, like Italian uh, Italia, Football Italia on Channel 4 and your eyes were just completely open to like a different way of football. Um, like we're so used to just like watching match of the day, that's all we had. And then all of a sudden you can watch like Italian football. You can watch like the, the Sandorias, the, like the Palmers, like teams that had unbelievable players, but like you hadn't heard of them um, because we just hadn't seen it. And then all of a sudden you, you, yeah. you get to sort of see all this. And I remember that was like one of the big things that I used to like I say, I think it was on like a Sunday morning at sort of nine, 10 o'clock. It would come on football Italia. Everyone knew the, the theme song and um, everyone would be sort of running around, kicking a ball for a couple of minutes before it came on. And, it just completely changed sort of what you could see and what you, what you actually got to see. And and for me growing up, like that was, that was a huge part of, I'd say probably my sort of development in terms of just wanting to do it with my mates and have a bit of fun and actually think like, look at these stadiums, like full of people. And like these lads, do, it was obviously at that age, it was never about money. It was just about like, look, look what they're doing, like playing in front of all these people, like, got unbelievable players all around and that, that, that's where I think sort of in my head it changed from just like I love doing it a part of my mates. so I was like jealous I was like I want to be that guy I want to be the Bastutas and the Del Piero's and all, all the players that you're seeing I was like I want to be I want to be like them Who do
0: you, who do you think like look if, who would you know nine ten year old Beansy who, who would he be looking at
1: now and thinking yeah that's he's, I think looking he's, back he's say I Shearer was just be like I'm not comparing myself to Shearer in any way but I think in terms of our games and how sort of the, the, the that, that sort of number nine which is it feels like and just like I say is a, in my opinion but watching that's almost a position that's being sort of phased out of football Um, everybody wants to be a number 10 everyone wants mm. to be a sort of uh Salah and Firmino and Marne all just like interchange and everyone wants that. No one wants to be that it's sort of a bit unfashionable now, the number nine, that the sort of target man, the the guy that would sort of bang into defenders and and win the ball, flick it on and, and let the sort of quicker players get onto it. It's it seems like a little bit sort of outdated now, which is a shame because I say the Shearers and and and, Linekers and people like that, Lineker probably a little bit more sort of technical and than sort of a batter and ram. But it was just like, they, they, those were the sort of players that, that I sort of saw and thought, look at them, like they coming off with blood. And it, that's what I sort of thought that that I was going to be just because of the way I was at that age. And obviously growing up, I, I felt like I was probably bigger than, I was always playing out of my age group, which, which I think made a big difference. Um, I remember at sort of five and six, playing sort of under seven, under eight. So I was always sort of, being knocked around and, and I think that really helped sort of progress me and make me stronger. Um, but yeah, they, they would like say the Shearers and, and that's, that's what I really thought sort of growing up and and like say the gazers. I, I loved Gaza just how he was. And I was lucky enough to meet him a few years ago in, in pool and just in literally in the middle of a park in, in the middle of a sort of sport uh, in the middle of a sort of fate that just bumped into Gaza. Like, I I said, I was with Laura and obviously the kids and I I, I just sort of spotted, I was like, I don't know what, it just. this was from behind and I was like, it just looked like someone famous because he he was tanned beyond belief, like shirt, white shirt, like jeans, trainers. I was like, it just looked like someone famous. It was just, and the closer I got to him, obviously he had sort of like white gelled hair. and, And as he turned around, I was like, that's Gaza, And like I say, Laura's, obviously loves football when I'm playing but if it's like on the TV or she's not really that interested so I was like she was like are you sure like she had no clue like probably what what he looked like but it was just like I knew that it was Gaza. I was like I've got to somehow like see him and she was like going no, oh go and just go and ask him for a picture and I was like you can't just go up to Gazza and ask him it's Gaza, <laughs> like you know, I was absolutely like just <laughs> like a little kid like a five year old again I was like that was my sort of person i loved watching when i was a kid now he's just strolling through the park and it it was around the time that he had all that trouble and people had been sort of videoing him drunk and it it was just i felt like for him it probably wasn't the right thing to be going up and asking for pictures because he would have probably been thinking you know what like is this going to be a genuine person or is this someone trying to sort of catch him out or there was a lot going through my head i just didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable because obviously someone i've loved and sort of respected i didn't want to cause him any sort of any problem so like I said I left it and we sort of looked around and I looked around five minutes later and he was gone and I was just like oh you know what like I should have it's one of them things you might never get a chance again um and we carried on like didn't sort of think too much of it and then little one wanted an ice cream or whatever so we we queued up for that and I look, remember looking over and he was just sat on the bench on his own um and didn't really seem to have too many people sort of bothering him or Stuff like that. So I was thinking, like, I don't know, like, maybe people don't sort of recognise him or what. So I just said to Laura, like, I'm going to have to go and say hello to him. Even if it's just like, look, I hope you're all right. Um, Just want to know, like, I want to let you know, like, I'm a massive fan. Like, I loved you sort of when I was growing up and um, stuff like that. And then I remember just walking over to him and, and and the assistant manager at Hungerford at the time used to play for Tottenham and he knew Gaza. So I was like, I had in my head, I was going to tell him all this stuff um and that the, the, he sort of still talks about him and I literally walked over and I was just like hi and literally just froze I just like didn't know what to say I was like he was like hi like sort of and just sort of stood there and there was a probably three or four seconds of just silence and he was like do you want a picture <laughs> and I was just like everything I planned <laughs> to say everything in my head that I thought I'm going to tell him but I love love watching him and I know people that have played with it. Literally, it just all went out the window and I was just stood just staring at Gaza and I was just like, yeah, that'd be great. So uh, I had a picture with him and then, like say, it was just <laughs> unbelievable, like asking questions about sort of what we were doing down here. And I said, like, we we sort of lived down here and, and, and he was talking about Laura's mum and dad had just moved back to Newcastle. So um, he was talking about how sort of he lived not far from them and he loves it up that part of the world and everything it just like say we probably stood chatting to him sort of five minutes and it was I say something I'll never forget it was just an opportunity to speak with with your hero uh, sort of growing up and then um, like I say everything he's gone through and ever all the sort of stick he's taken and stuff like that to then just be able to give up sort of five minutes of his time and and just sort of chat with you to do with football and Tottenham and it was just amazing and like I say I feel so lucky and that I managed to sort of summon up the, the courage to go over and, and say hello to him.
0: Well, cause so I'm, I imagine like if you hadn't, yeah. that
1: would be, if,
0: if I said 100%, request, 100% would, cause I just said like, you just,
1: I think he'd, he'd been really ill as well. And um, he'd been in rehab and, and all these different things. And you just think like, you look at the sort of the bests and, and people like that, and you just don't know. It's, it's, it's a horrible thing that that sort of addiction and and that like i say the, these, these, players that, that should be sort of there that you see all the time and, and like this, the Linekers and that doing Match of the Day it's, it's just a shame that like say he's not on that sort of level to be able to be seen and, 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 and not be sort of like in the press for all the wrong reasons like we should be praising him and enjoying him for what what he was which was yeah. like say an unbelievable footballer for this for this country and like say for the team that, that I love to support Mm.
0: That's a great story, that mate. I love that. Uh, just before I was, this is uh, the way I'm imagining yeah. it though is just before you've gone over, like to actually see him. That like Laura's gone like right, sorting you out. She's like yeah. just just brushing off the top, of your right <laughs> straight straightening up <at> your top, <laughs> just, just licked her fingers, just sorts out your brows. Yeah, a bit of muck off. Your yeah, face, literally. Right off your like mind, I, I,
1: I, so I think in the end, like I just had. I think Amelia was with me, like, and we just sort of walked over because I I don't think I could just do it on my own. I think I had to almost like take, take, take Amelia. So it was like she wanted to picture, he and I just get, like I'm a dad, I just came with her. Um, but I've, uh, it's, it was a complete other way round. It was like I was supposed to do it, but I was it wasn't brave enough to go on my own. So I took my daughter, um, and she even to, to this day she was like, "Who was that guy we met again in the park?" And I like get YouTube up, get the clips up, get the the, the free kick against <laughs> Arsenal, get all the all the things he did, the goal against Scotland. I'm like that's the guy that is the guy that we flipping students chatted with for five minutes um but it's just yeah like it's amazing to be able to show her that the, the things that he did and and like I say the, the goals he scored and say look that we, we we spoke to this guy like and he was like friendly and he asked how school was going and it's just amazing that like I say that we got the opportunity to do that and um like I say he was such a nice guy it made it even more special
0: brilliant so okay so what would you say then is probably your your
1: best moment in your it's board? difficult like, I, I think obviously traveling to um, traveling up to Warsaw from from Chippenham and and like I say not really sure what to expect and, and obviously haven't gone but I had a sort of a week's trial there and I remember coming back and I went I think I went to Bristol City for four or five days um, under Gary Johnson and um, did a bit of sort of training with them. And, and then I think I was lined up to go down to Swansea for a week with Kenny Jackett. Um, and then obviously Swindon was still, I think Ifeonora was the manager at the time and I'd, I'd spoke to him a couple of times and, and he was like, obviously we're keen to get you here, sort of local lad, and it would look great if you came. And And, and again, I was just, blown away I'd only been at Chippenham um and then from that it literally in the space of sort of two or three weeks I'd just blown up and I'd been here there and everywhere and I remember the the sort of couple of days before I was going I was due to go to Swansea I got a call from from Darren Perrin at at Chippenham and said look Paul Paul Merson wants us to go up and and see him um this was like a Monday so we traveled up Monday sort of afternoon mum and dad and Darren and uh, we got in the car and shot up there and he was just like, look, I want to show you around the ground and show your mum and dad and, and and obviously show Darren the, let him meet the chairman and everything and then in the midst of sort of walking around the ground, we just got the call to come down. So we came down to, to the manager's office and he was like, look, there's a contract. Um, and I remember just like me and dad, just we just sort of looked at each other and we just like, it was like, again, sort of like when you walk in and you stumble across like a sweet shop with like, millions of sweet you just couldn't believe like this was this was happening like they were like right here it's like a a two and a half year contract or whatever and we did I I said even to this day we didn't even look at we didn't even turn it over we didn't look at the money we didn't even look at any part of it like any clauses they could have said look there could have been a clause in there saying you you could you you sign for two and a half years but you got to stay for 20 years after that we just we didn't even read it and it was just amazing that we literally just turned to the back where we needed to, got the pen and signed it. It was just the opportunity to to be a professional footballer. The, the, everything else just sort of came 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 out of it. We didn't even... The sort of thinking behind it just went out the window. We would, I was just so desperate to be a professional footballer. And like I say the opportunity from being offered to you from Paul Merson, another sort of player that growing up I watched and just loved seeing what he could do with the ball. It was just... For me, it was like a, a, a no-brainer. But I think in terms of playing-wise, obviously Oxford leading the team out of Wembley as captain and um, an unbelievable game of football. And then to, to sort of crown it by by going up and, and picking up the trophy and and knowing what it meant to the fans and, and what that meant for the football club as a whole going forward was, like I say, it, it sort of outweighs so much stuff that the, the sort of bad days you have and the down days, because as footballers, you you do have down days and you have good days, but like us say, you only need to w- put that on for sort of two, three minutes of, of the last sort of two or three minutes of the game and that turn around, like say, any da- down day you have and to realise that, that you've been a part of that is just, like I say, something I'll never forget.
0: Awesome. So, obviously, you know, you have to do the, 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 yeah. The light and shade. So we've got your best moments. Playing wise, what's been the worst moment for you?
1: Just, it's different. Like you, there's obviously. Yeah, I, I remember that we we obviously when I was at Oxford we played Swindon. And I got sent off after ten minutes, and at that minute, it's like I've let everyone down. We, we're definitely going to lose now. Like you, you're ten minutes in, it's nil nil. You've been sent off. Let's like say you, you you're sort of walking off the pit pitch with. With Matt Ritchie sort of patting you on the top of the head, and like I say, you, you've got to walk past sort of De Canio and all that, and you're just thinking, Shh, oh. "I've let everyone down." This is like that was, 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 that, uh, was that I, I think after, after I, I, did, I like remember the, 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 the sort of build ups them coming in coming in for me and stuff um, was before, and then we played them at their place, um, and I managed to score two that day, and we and we won two one, and like I say, that that was. The sort of start of I think even in that game there was aspects of them sort of trying to like wind me up like little niggles like little sort of pinches and little kicks on, on, on when we were sort of lining up for corners and I think that was the game plan from from that was to try and get me sent off I've, I don't know why because like I say in, in terms of the home game where right, where I was sent off for something I, I felt like I never should have been sent off it it ended up probably spurring them the lads, the remaining lads that are on the pitch to go on and and get the win. So it sort of backfired. But I I think like I say that was a low. And then obviously the, the kid the Wembley final um in the trophy, scored two and, and we're winning sort of two nil at halftime and and then to lose sort of three two is was a tough one. Like I say the first sort of proper game at that 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 stadium and like I say at halftime our emotions compared to full time is just we were had already started planning on what we, I think we had I think something like about a thousand pound win bonus for the game. Um, so back then we were just like lads were just like thinking, Oh my god, that would tune a lap like thinking about what we're going to be doing, like whether, whether they're going to sort of take us away somewhere or because I think the club were going to make set to make over a million pound, I think, in sort of TV money and um stuff like that. So we we're thinking, Oh, we're going to get probably taken away. And wow. like I say, I think we didn't probably take our minds off it, but I think we probably just got a little bit over over excited from from the position, like say it was 2-0. It wasn't it wasn't game over. There was forty five minutes left and and they were a good side, Stevenage. And say so as it as it sort of turns out, we 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 got sort of turned over and, and I remember s- s- Morrison scoring in the last sort of seconds of the of the game and um just absolute heartbreak for I think it was fifty two, fifty three thousand there that day. So um just unbelievable from the highs of the first half to then the lows of the second half. And I remember sort of coming over, we, I think we'd gone up, got our sort of loser's medal, came back down. And I remember sort of seeing all my family and and everybody sort of trying to sort of smile and put on a brave face. But for me, I was just in floods of tears. I just couldn't believe like that we had not managed to get it over the line. And um, for me, it was, I think going back in 2010, and obviously winning there with with oxford was was huge in terms of i needed to do that to then sort of wipe wipe yeah wipe yeah. that memory that that because even to yeah, this day i've back. never watched that kidman's game back never i've seen tons and tons of the first halves and i've watched obviously the there's sort of like two or three minute clips that sort of summarize the game itself but i've never been able to sort of bring myself to watch the 90 minutes of football just because it's just such a raw emotional memory to know that the highs of, of doing what I'd done yeah. first half, like scoring and just. That. Well, because you'd, you'd scored. Yeah. First, well, I, again, like, not um, some
0: competitive goal at the for, new women. Is that, the is that first right? sort
1: of couple of years I'd even sort of thought about, because it was just like, there, there'd there been games there, but it had been like friendlies. And I think there was like an under 23s or under 21s game there. And, and obviously people had scored, but they were like, as sort of time went on, I think probably sort of to try and cheer me up a little bit, they were like, you know what, like you've, you've scored the first competitive goal there. That's like a um, sort of like a, a silver lining really to the situation. And and as you sort of time goes by, you you, you you sort of think about that a little bit more and think how sort of, how much of a positive that is really. Like I say, I know we did lose and like, now I'm at 35. I can look back and think like, you know what, like, it is a little bit of history and like I say, it wasn't a particularly great day and we we did lose, but at the end of the day, you, you, you did score the first goal. And and like I say, it was, I, I, I love my time at Kinnaman. So I really enjoyed it there. And even to this day, I I still sort of speak and keep in contact with people that are there and a player that I was, I played with when I was there, he's now like the manager. So um, it's, it's a great little club. And, and like I say, I was just more disappointed for them that we, we couldn't sort of get that win and, and finish off what would what was because sort of, I only joined it I think in the November um, yeah. of that season on loan and then signed permanently in the January, but yeah. um, to finish sort of in May because as well I I played most of the season with the double hernia. Um, I think just after Christmas I I was complaining of pain oh. in my groins and and they said look you're probably going to need to go and see a specialist or whatever. So I saw the specialist and they were like yeah you need a, a double hernia operation and um, they were just keen to like look can can you sort of get by by sort of massage and dp and and obviously at the time it didn't sound too bad but obviously every game putting dp on your sort of the top of your groin it caused a knock-on effect of major issues obviously lads would know of when you're putting dp all over the top of your groin and and top of your legs it was uh it was not an enjoyable time but to be able to sort of carry on playing was was what I needed to do and in a way like say if I if I had gone and had the operation I probably wouldn't have played at Wembley and it's, it was a small small price to pay to be able to, to do that I was uh as soon as the game finished like so
0: how long were you like, out for that was the,
1: the I can't remember what the exact 12th of May maybe or something like that I think the final um and then literally it was like a week later I was in Gloucester and I had the operation and um, I was back for the pre-season, the following season. So I think I was out for about six weeks. Um, and then. Like... No. And like I say, That's not, least it's I not feel like so lucky through my impact career. Impact. That's really like the only, pain, the right? only sort of major injury. I've had a broken bone in my foot and, and, and something that sort of subsequently has, has gone on to probably cause me a lot more problem through, through my career. Cause it's, it never really healed properly. And I've had to have injections in it and, and steroids and stuff to try and sort of calm it down and heal it. But in terms of like serious sort of in and then having my appendix out, but um, that could happen to sort of anyone. So a double hernia is really the only thing I've ever sort of had to cope with. So I feel very lucky in that sense that I haven't been sort of plagued with injuries and and I've been able to sort of play pretty much injury free. I was at Eastleigh. Um, So where where were you end of the? I think the end of my second year there. Right. Um, we went out with friends on on Friday night because they had us over, and We had some food and and we came back. I think they they had ordered some sort of sort of chicken sort of takeaway thing, and we had that. And I I remember waking up about one in the morning. and I was like, oh, I said, like I feel like I got like indigestion. But I said like it's really on my sort of right hand side. I said it's really uncomfortable. And I remember Laura saying, I oh, just like go back to bed. Like you you got a game in the morning. You got a game in a few hours. Like just go back to bed like see if see if see what's like in the morning and I remember just sort of lying there for about five minutes and I was like this isn't right um this isn't gonna this ain't gonna go away so I remember just lying there thinking I, I'm gonna have to go to the doctors and she was she rang sort of 111 and they said I oh, will call you back in sort of 20 minutes or something and li- literally like five minutes later I was like I ain't gonna be able to wait 20 minutes um like, I need to go now so literally I just hopped in the car drove to drove to Bournemouth A&E and that's where I was until lunchtime on the Saturday. And then they were like, right, you've. we need to take you down for an emergency like operation. And they took it out. And like I say, it was, uh, it was what I needed to to have done because I couldn't have, couldn't have gone on. Like the pain was just getting worse and worse. So um, just completely out of the blue and like, say something I've never, I've, I've seen since uh, Eric Dyer at Tottenham's had it Um and he said basically it completely just ruined him for like a year. He just couldn't get back to levels playing wise. And he, and he sort of pulls it all back to having his appendix out.
0: It's funny that, it, like, the impact, something that's like, do you think, oh, it's football? It's, you know, the main injuries is all going to be around, like, my legs and stuff. But, like, yeah. think, think back to, um, was it Gerard had, like, chronic groin problems, didn't he? And- it took out his wisdom teeth and then that's just, just yeah because i remember when i went in like, how the body i initially thought like i've kind of, and... like, got food
1: poisoning i was thinking like they must have had um and then they literally like say rush me to the when i first got there they were like look you need to get you on a bed and need to get you some, sort of some tests done and take some bloods and and they were like oh, i came back straight away and they were like oh you, you, your body's definitely fighting something um and it was obviously this infection that 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 was sort of causing all this pain was was my appendix so I remember just like just feeling like at the time just I I didn't care whatever they had to do I was like just do it like just get this pain gone like I couldn't it was getting worse and worse so I think when they took me down it was like say lunchtime on the Saturday I came back at came back up at sort of four or five o'clock onto sort of recovery and they were like if if we'd left it like another hour it would burst and you would have been in all sorts of trouble then. So but it's just a funny, like I say, completely needless bit of skin that just is there. But it, it, it say was causing me so much pain that that luckily I got it managed to get it taken out. And but I remember like funnily I was saying to, to Laura the other day, like when when they were sort of trying to find out what it was, they, they were sort of trying to check loads of things and they said like um have you ever been sort of checked has anyone been to check your sort of lower sort of groin in your Sort of testicles and things like that, and I was like, "No." Um, and she was like, "We'll send someone round just to do a few checks." So I led there for about five minutes, and then, say about five, five, ten minutes later, a group of about eight people walked in, and they were like, "Oh, we're here to do the checks." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I think that the nurse said someone was like one person was coming." She was like, "Oh yeah, we've got a group here that like sort of learning and training and stuff." So that's so they were like, "Can we just?"
0: can we have a they, look they, and they I was had like
1: they've gone felt instantly yeah, uncomfortable yeah. just led there on, on a bed and they sort of lifted up the my gown and like say I was just remember just lying there and just thought just shut my eyes like, I don't want to know like all these people just sort of staring in um but yeah they they managed to sort of uh tick off that it was nothing to do with any of that <laughs> and it was uh it was an appendix problem so I had all that embarrassment for nothing um and yeah they managed to to like say take me down and, and, and get it out and <laughs> Um it, it was uh it it didn't put me out for like too long in terms of I think again that came the sort of last two, three weeks of the season. Um and then like I say, I was gutted because I missed the sort of last couple of weeks of the season. Oh, right. But um by sort of the middle of May, beginning of June, I was back running and, and stuff like that. So uh it was an incredible sort of turnaround in terms of, of time. I wasn't out for very long at all, but um yeah, it was it was funny that, that the sort of the way it sort of panned out, but, but I was so glad at the, at the end that it was gone and, and I could get back to sort of normal. Uh but so much, yes. Yeah, so
0: yeah, yeah, really, but like actually, I say, I I've, I've
1: played great. with so many players well, like just been plagued wise, with injuries. And I just, again, it's one of them things you sort of look back on and you, I I just feel sorry for them because there's nothing they can do and, and you can look after yourselves as, as, as well as you want. like. One of the guys, John Paul Pittman, who I was with at Oxford, and um, still had a fantastic career—Grimsby and Wickham and Oxford. But just every couple of weeks, he'd it, it felt like a hamstring a go or he, he would like tear sort of muscles in his knee. And he was just so fit; he was in the gym every day, no matter what he did. Like he strengthened every part of his body, but he, he, there's certain things that just break down, and there's there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and like I say, having haven't sort of been a player and you come in and you, you just come in yeah. ready for training every day and you walk past the sort of treatment room and players are in there. And like I say, there's just nothing they can do to sort of combat that. Um, it's a tough one, like say, for, for footballers that, that, that go through that, not to be able to, to be out there with everyone else. And like I said there has been times where you pull the odd muscle and stuff like that and you're stuck in there. Sometimes it's only a couple of weeks. But you're sort of like miserable. So when you sort of compare that to players that are in there a lot, it is a tough time, and you can see why players get so sort of depressed and and sort of fall out of love with the game when when they can't do what what they naturally want to do.
0: And cut. So I'm going to stop the interview there for this episode. I'll carry on talking injuries and a lot more uh, with James in episode two. And um, if you want to get in touch with the show, then uh, you can contact me on Twitter at I used to play a bit or by email on i used to play a bit at gmail.com. See you soon. Bye.